Well, good morning. We are continuing this morning in our series called The Greatest Story. Uh, we began over two months ago looking at Genesis 1 and 2, where we saw that God created the world. And then he's called us, he's equipped us with gifts and talents and resources to come alongside of him as sub-creators. Now, unfortunately, it didn't take long before Satan enters the narrative, deceives Adam and Eve with a terrible lie, and then the world, which was once good and beautiful and harmonious, is now tainted with sin and death. But the good news is that God didn't abandon his people. He established a great rescue plan that began in the garden and it continues today through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The good news is that although it might seem that God's plan is being thwarted, as we look around us, as we think about COVID continuing, as we look at the media and the news, But the truth is, his kingdom is moving forward. God is on the move, rescuing people and nations every day, although we struggle to believe it. Our text this morning, it fans into flame our hope in the midst of dire circumstances as we see God make a way for his people. So the two things that I want us to consider this morning, first, an unbelieving people, and then secondly, a rescued people. Let me pray for us. Father, we're grateful this morning that you choose to speak to us through your Holy Scriptures. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open our eyes and our ears to hear from you. That you would use these moments to transform our hearts. And so we pray that you take away distractions, thoughts about what's going on this afternoon or the meal that we're about to eat. And help us to focus on you and the truth. Have your way with us, Lord. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So you can open your Bibles or you can look on your Bible app. And the first thing I want us to consider this morning is an unbelieving people. Now, last week, Harrison had us look at the story of Joseph and his brothers and how God orchestrated through his providence events to bring Joseph and his brothers and to reconcile the two. Now, after they were reconciled, the Israelites, they remained in Egypt and they found favor in the sight of Pharaoh. And so they grew in numbers. But then Joseph died, and then Pharaoh died, and a new Pharaoh uh, arose and became king. Now this Pharaoh was not as predisposed favorably toward the Israelites. And he saw that they were growing so much that he felt threatened by them, so he ordered his taskmasters to be mean and cruel to the Israelites, to basically put them in to slavery. The Israelites lived this way for years and then cried out to God for God's mercy, for him to come and rescue them. And so what does God do? He calls Moses. He calls Moses to go to Pharaoh and to command Pharaoh to let the Israelites go. Pharaoh's heart was hardened 
And so God sent plague after plague after plague, and yet Pharaoh still would not let the Israelites go. And so God sent the last plague. All the firstborn children throughout Egypt would die unless they sacrificed a lamb and put on the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. And so all the Israelites, they knew to do that. And so as the angel of death came over the whole area, it passed over the firstborn homes of the Israelites. But that night, all the firstborn in Egypt died. And there was great welling throughout Egypt. And Pharaoh, he summoned Moses and Aaron. And he told them that they were now free to go. Take your children, take your flocks, take your herds, and leave. And so the Israelites, they were rejoicing in all God had done for them. They packed up all their things, and they fled into the desert toward the land of Canaan, the land in which God had promised them. And then during the day, God, he, he's so gracious and good, he provided a pillar of cloud. And that cloud provided shade, but it also guided the Israelites. And then at night, because the wilderness gets really cold, he provided a pillar of fire to keep them warm. And then also to give them light so that they could navigate through the evening. Now that brings us to chapter 14 of Exodus in our text this morning. God had led the Israelites all throughout the wilderness, and now he's led them to the very edge of the Red Sea. Now if, if you were me or you, um, and you had been in the wilderness for a long time, and you were at the edge of the Red Sea, your hearts were probably full of delight. And I can imagine that the kids were playing in the water. You could feel the cool breeze during the day. It was just a great scene. And the Israelites' hearts were full. But then all of a sudden, they heard what they thought were chariots from afar coming toward them. And then the chariots got louder and louder as they heard the horses and chariots barrowing toward them. Surely their ears were deceiving them. God had delivered them from the hands of Pharaoh. God had graciously provided for them during their journey in the wilderness. There must be another explanation for what they were hearing. But then you look in verse 10. They lifted up their eyes. They looked out over the horizon and they saw their enemy moving towards them. And what was their response? It says, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. I love how the Jesus storybook describes their action. So they did the only thing there was left to do. They panicked. In an instant, all they had seen God do was swallowed up by their unbelief. In verses 10 through 12, And the people of Israel, they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. 
For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the Their hearts are full of fear and unbelief. And that fear and unbelief caused them to grumble and complain against God. And then they assign malevolent motives and attributes to God. They say, God, you're cruel. You tricked us into trusting you. God, you're not good. You brought us out here to die. God, you're not wise. For it would have been better for us to stay in Egypt than to die in the wilderness. Do you hear the whispers from the Garden of Eden? God doesn't want what is best for you. He wants to keep you down. So eat the fruit and you will be like him. In the face of their enemy, the Israelites' faith evaporates like the morning dew. Their fear and unbelief leads them to grumble and complain. After graduating from UNC, I went on staff with InterVarsity. And that first summer, I had to raise $20,000 in three months. And it was amazing how God moved in miraculous ways that summer. I saw him do so many different things. And by the end of the summer, I had raised the $20,000. And so my faith was just swelling. I was to move to Whitesburg, Virginia. Another college buddy was taking a gap year. And so he and I packed our stuff up in a U-Haul. Our parents came with us. We drove to Williamsburg. We'd, we'd already gotten an apartment there. We stayed in the hotel that night, and the next morning we were going to get up, and we were going to unpack and get settled, and then our parents were going to take off. So that next morning, we get up, we go uh, to the apartment complex, they give us the key, we go to the apartment, we open the door, and this foul odor, I mean, it was foul. It smelled like dead animals, just came washing over us. We thought, okay, well, maybe if we open all you know, the windows, it'll go away, but it didn't. And then we were walking through, and there were marks all over the, the walls. And I remember my mom saying, you're not living here. And then my buddy's mom. And in that moment, I was thinking, well, what are we going to do? I was supposed to leave in two days to go to this retreat. My buddy's there. The U-Hauls are full. That's all I could see. And in that moment, all the faith that I had that summer evaporated like that. It was gone. And unbelief and fear just filled my heart. And I began to attribute malevolent things to God. God, you're not good. You might be good to others, but you're not good to me. Look, you didn't provide for us. You brought me all this way to Williamsburg to give me this apartment that we can't live in. Where are we going to live? What are we going to do? I was complaining and grumbling. In an instant, my heart went from belief to unbelief. Like the Israelites, I moved from what Henry Nouwen refers to as the house of God's love to the house of fear. Our fears might be prompted by difficult circumstances, such as the loss of an apartment, a cancer diagnosis, a difficult relationship, an unexpected financial crisis, or our fears can, be, can come from past wounds that lead us to these patterns of fear, fear of failure, fear of... The truth is, we all struggle with fear and unbelief. 
This might explain, but the most repeated phrase throughout Scripture is what? Do not be afraid. So I wonder this morning, in what ways are you living in the house of fear? Where are you struggling with unbelief and assigning malevolent attributes and motives to God? The fact that the Israelites are in this place is both sobering and encouraging to us. It's sobering because it reminds us how easy it is for us to fall prey to fear and unbelief, to grumble and complain against God. But it's also encouraging because God remains faithful to the Israelites. He doesn't abandon them. But instead, he begins to institute his rescue plan. So the first thing we see in our text this morning, we see an unbelieving people. The second thing we see is a rescued people. God's grace is poured out in Moses' response. Moses, he could have yelled at them. He could have left them in their panic. But he doesn't do either of those things. Moses, like a good shepherd, he speaks words of truth when they most needed to hear it. Look at verses 12 through 14. Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. I love this. Moses says to them, the Lord will fight for you. And you have only to be silent. Gosh, isn't that true? The Lord will fight for you, and you will only have to be silent. Moses was a fear buster. He said, stand firm. You lifted up your eyes, and all you could see were the Egyptians coming after you. Now I want you to put on the glasses of working in the midst of all of these circumstances. The Lord will deliver you. And I love how he ends with this common Old Testament phrase that the Lord will fight for you. Trust him, for he is our deliverer. And let me pause here for one moment. Because what Moses says and does, sometimes it gets overlooked because we, we jump to God's miraculous intervention and his rescue. In our faith journey, we all need people like Moses in our lives. We need men and women in our lives who provide space for us to share our fears and unbelief. And then who gently and lovingly remind us of the truth of who God is and what God is going to do and how God promises to always, to always provide a way, even if that way is something different than we anticipated. Who are the truth tellers and fear busters in your life? And as the Lord brings different people to mind this morning, I want to encourage you 
to send those folks a text this afternoon and just say thank you. Thank you for speaking truth to me in the midst of my fear and unbelief. Thank you for walking beside me. Thank you for giving me a space to share my fears and unbeliefs. And just as others have done this for you, the question for you this morning, are you a fear buster in other people's lives? Are you speaking truth to your friends, your neighbors, your family? In verse 15, the Lord said to Moses, Why do you call the people of Israel to go forward? Now in their minds, they're thinking, well, there's really not very far to go. There's water here, and there's land and desert with Egyptians coming here. And yet, in verses 19 through 20, the angel of God, who was going before the house of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from them and stood behind them between the Egyptians and the Israelites. And all night long, there was confusion, so the Egyptians could not see the Israelites. And they basically all kind of moved in a big circle. The Egyptians moved in a circle. The Israelites moved in a circle. They didn't go very far. God was going to take them through the sea. And we've all seen, well, those of us who are older have seen the iconic scene with Charleston Heston in the movie Ten Commandments when he holds out his staff and he says, the water's part is probably your go-to. When this scene, you've seen it. And that's what Moses does. He holds out his staff and the water parts. And God dries the land. And the Israelites, having seen what God had done and making a way for them, they began to take steps into the Red Sea, walking on dry land. And as they continued to walk, the Egyptian armies, they continued to pursue after the Israelites into confusion as they were in the Red Sea, so much so that they cried out, the Lord fights for them. Then the Lord told Moses to stretch out his hand over the sea, and the walls of water began to cascade down, engulfing the Egyptian forces. Verse 23 says, But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea. And then in verse 30, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And the Israelites saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. God rescues his people. And in verse 31, we see the transformation of the Israelites' hearts going from fear and unbelief to faith. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people... They feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. A friend of mine had a child who was going through a lot of problems, and he was depressed, this friend, because he felt like he was a a bad parent. 
And uh, someone came along and said to him, you know, as parents, we often think that the goal is to, to get our, our child saved. And once they've, they've professed faith in Christ, then life is going to be like an escalator. You know, sanctification is going to be like a slow escalator going slowly from earth to heaven. And he's like, that's not what life and sanctification is about at all. It's more like a, like a, um, a bungee cord, uh, and your child is going to be bouncing up and down, up and down, up and down, in need of rescue continually. The truth is, our life, this side of heaven, even if we profess faith in God, is going to be difficult. Our circumstances are going to be difficult. And it's going to be as if we're going up and down, and we desperately need rescuing. I wonder this morning, how has God rescued you lately? What do you need him to rescue you from today? Maybe it's a bad relationship. Maybe it's a besetting sin. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's just fear has just taken root in an unbelief. We all need rescuing. And the good news is that we have a God who rescued from the hands of the Egyptians, the Israelites. And today we have a God who sent his only son to rescue us from sin and death. What did it cost God to rescue Israel in the Red Sea? Have you ever thought about that? We always think about the deliverance, but what did it cost him? I think his heart wept when that sea crushed in on the Egyptians, and he watched his image bearers drown. It cost him seeing all of those Egyptians die. It cost him seeing all those firstborn die in Egypt. It cost him ultimately sending his son, Jesus, to die on a cross so that you and I can be rescued. This morning, we are a people like the Israelites that sometimes are unbelieving. Sometimes it's as if we forget all the things that God has done for us and fear comes in and we panic and we assign motives and attributes to God that are not at all true about his character. He doesn't abandon us in that place. But because of his son Jesus, he is gracious to us. He's slow to anger. He moves toward us. He forgives us. And he woos us back to himself. And he fans into the flame faith again as he provides for us, as he rescues us. We have an amazing, an amazing God. And my, you know him, that you have a personal relationship with him. And if you're here this morning and you don't, maybe this morning Jesus is calling you. And what you need to be rescued from is ultimately yourself. Will you receive him this morning? Will you let him rescue you?
no matter where you are, will you put your faith in him? Let me pray for us. Father, we're grateful for this story that's so familiar to many of us. And yet it's so, so rich. It's easy for us to look at the Israelites and say, no, no, I would never, ever doubt you after seeing your deliverance. And yet, I probably will walk out of this church and move from a place of faith to fear and doubt within minutes. And yet, Lord, you forgive. You are kind and compassionate and gracious. And so wherever we are this morning, each individual, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come. That you'd fan to flame our faith. That you would rescue us from whatever circumstance or relationship or situation or sin or even ourselves and our pride this morning. We desperately need you, Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen.